Welcome to the Give to Profit podcast, the podcast that inspires business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders to turn their business into a profitable force for good. During our weekly episodes, you'll hear business leaders and entrepreneurs share how they put social impact at the heart of their business and the many benefits that come from doing this. You can find full show notes for today's show and additional resources at givetoprofit.com. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, where it would also be great if you could leave us a rating and review. For every review this month, we'll be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. And so now, here's your host, business mentor, speaker and author, Alison McKenzie. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this podcast show. This is your host, Alison McKenzie. I'm delighted to be with you again today. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I feel so honoured to be having a conversation with someone who I think of as one of the world's leading experts on developing a meaningful business. And it's Phil Hayde. Through his social impact agency in Toronto, Public Inc. helps brands profit with purpose. Earlier this year, we had a great conversation about building brands, put social mission and impact at their core and I knew when I spoke to him then that I just wanted to share some of what we'd spoken about with you too. So that's what we're going to be discussing today, building a brand and business with that profits with purpose. So welcome Phil. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you here. And you know, I always like to start by asking my guests to share their story. So I mean, I'd love to hear from you. How have you come to be the person that you are today doing what you are today? It's a great question. I guess I have to give full credit to my mother for birthing <laughs> me. She likes to take credit too and tells me that on the good days, at least that I'm the man that I am because of her. But the evolution to, I guess, the creation of public and working in the spaces as you described it, has really been that I have always been interested in thinking about how to create social impact and thinking about how do you better people's lives. And I think my academic career and also in my early stages of my career have always been interested in, you know, why do people behave the way they do? How do you actually move policy and brands, right, to get people to want to do good? And it's always sort of been in my DNA and the evolution. And so, you know, my background, interesting enough, I did my master's degree in international relations. And I worked at a, sort of an umbrella, a non-governmental organization that worked in international development in all kinds of countries, you know, on a lot of poverty alleviation type initiatives and economic development. And sort of my journey from there led me to actually work at a think tank where we were looking at policy and governance innovations that would bring kind of private sector and public sector and the social sector together to try to solve community problems. And then I tripped upon really uh, more marketing. And I was more in the sort of policy space, but ended up at a youth marketing research firm, sort of developing all kinds of youth marketing strategies like smoking cessation and youth employment. And it eventually led me to a social issue advertising firm where I spent seven years and I ran the company for half of that time. And I realized actually in my heart, I'm actually a marketer. And the reason is that I love thinking about how do you, as I said a moment ago, how do you move people to want to take positive social actions. And so it really is sort of the combination of social psychology meets behavioral economics. And I realized in doing that work that I absolutely love about how to market ideas to people in a way that would actually drive them to take positive action. And in that evolution and the creation of 
public with my co-founder, I realized that the path to do that really at scale, we had to move outside of the sort of the philanthropic model, the do good because it's the right thing to do, do good because it makes you feel good, right? Give back to community, be a good person. That if we're really serious about trying to solve community problems at scale, then we had to get inside businesses and brands because that's where the majority of the revenue is created. That's where you have the opportunity for scale. And so in my evolution, I really did a bit of a 180 in recognizing that the path to large-scale social impact was going to come from businesses. And I often talk about how I actually think it's business and brands that are going to change the world, not to the exclusion of governments and nonprofits, but it's been a sort of an evolution of always being in the space and realizing that the path to that scale is going to happen through business. And very interesting to hear that, as you said, just right at the start of that, and actually I have to say, what a beautiful start to a story. One of the nicest I've ever heard, you know, that acknowledgement yeah. of, of, of your mother there. But you said very early on that social impact has been in your DNA and really interesting to hear how, in some ways, the substance of what you did initially and how you're bringing all of that into the way that you are influencing people now through business to have a positive mm-hmm. impact in the world. And so just so it's clear to every... Sorry, you were going to say something there. What were you going to add? Well, I was just going to say, no, I think you're right. It's really interesting that I personally come to this work from more of a social impact lens. My business partner started much more from management consultant and working on solving business problems. And we really sort of came together in bringing those two worlds together in a way, in a both having a kind of a fundamental belief that that's actually the path to creating large-scale change. And it is interesting in the evolution of what we've done, trying to sell an idea that, you know, nine years ago, not a lot of people were listening to. But today, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, today, you know, there's so much more currency around this idea of what we call proper with purpose, but really, you know, businesses and brands thinking about impact as a business strategy. So it's it's super exciting times. Fantastic. You've touched on it there in terms of what you mean by profit with purpose. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more just for any of our listeners that are new to this concept? Yeah, absolutely. So the way I would describe it is if you, and it, just to give a bit of context, if you think about kind of where we've been in sort of the philanthropic, charitable, social space, the evolution I would say over the last 20 or 30 years has been one where and particularly through the corporate lens, it started as companies wrote checks. Individuals, organizations, and communities asked companies to give back, and they started writing checks. And then over time, companies realized, well, we're writing a lot of these checks. Maybe we should be a little bit more focused or a little bit more strategic about it. And so they started to focus their giving efforts. And you see this sort of rise, at this ebb and flow in terms of you know companies that set up foundations. And then there was a time when they didn't, and then they came back and set it up. But it was around trying to be more strategic with their philanthropy. But it was never tied directly to the business, meaning that when you think about the P&L, the profit and loss you know, statement, all of your community efforts generally tended to be seen as an expense to the business. And the evolution has become one where as we evolve and corporate social responsibility, I should say, and the whole rise of corporate social responsibility was saying, you actually have a responsibility as a company to give back and also to be good to your employees. And of course, think about your supply chain and your environmental footprint. But it still separates the business drivers and the kind of social good drivers as very separate. What we're talking about, profit with purpose in its essence, is about the evolution of CSR, where you actually start to think about not who you should partner with, what charity you should partner with, or how much money you should give, right? But much more about what's the problem that you want to solve in the world that you believe is directly tied to your business. So it's less about we gave, lots of banks will talk about we gave X millions of dollars 
to community, we're saying, no, no, start with the premise of what's the change you want to see. If you want to tackle mental health, what's the change in mental health? If you want to tackle poverty, what's the change in poverty? Start with the impact and then figure out where and how to play on the issue and how it actually is tied to your business. So at the heart of Profit with Purpose, we're saying, as a business, there is nothing wrong with making money and creating social impact. In fact, they're necessarily, they have to go together because if you can't generate profits, if you can't generate revenue from your community impact efforts, then it's always going to be limited in terms of what you can do. So at the heart of profit with purpose is the idea that you don't have to give up the community impact for profit and you don't have to, and it's not all about profit. In fact, you can put those two things together and when they're working in harmony, you can actually create more profits for your business and more community impact. Beautifully put. And it's, it is fascinating to see, as you say, the evolution of what's happened in, you know, in that corporate world and the move from, they're going to get this word right, yeah. philanthropy, <laughs> um, more towards putting social impact at the heart of businesses. Have you noticed any difference between what large organizations are doing compared to what smaller businesses do? Yeah, so there are some differences. I would say the major difference have, is twofold. One has to do actually not with the size of the company, but has to do with the orientation of the company. Meaning if you're a CEO and he or she uh, really believes in the creation of value, right, which is really what we're talking about with profit purpose, right? It's not about just giving back. It's actually about we're going to create value. And we're going to do that in a way that's going to benefit our business and community. The first is that it's really about the orientation of that CEO. And some really get in, some don't. But when it comes to to size specifically, there's generally tends to be more sophistication in the large companies only because they have people who are dedicated to it. And what you find in a lot of small companies is they feel that they don't have, because they haven't necessarily seen this as a business driver and a business strategy, it's sort of the nice to do, then it doesn't get a lot of attention. And so generally you see more defined impact, more defined sort of articulation of what you stand for in community from the large companies. But I would say that the sort of the caveat to that is small companies that have actually started through a purpose lens, meaning that they have a product that actually generates positive community impact, or quite frankly, large companies that do that, then it actually is just part of how they do business. But I often hear from small businesses that say, oh, we couldn't possibly do what you're talking about because we just, we have bigger issues or challenges. And giving back to community, I care deeply about that, but I, I'll get to that later. And I think what we're arguing and, you know, back to them is actually, if you believe that this could be a competitive advantage for you, if you believe in this in your heart, then figure out how it actually helps you to acquire a customer sell a product, attract top talent to your organization. Don't wait till later to build it into how you do your business because actually you'll see that it can accelerate the growth of your business. Yes, absolutely. And how easy do you find it to communicate that message to people who are maybe new to the concept? It is challenging. And I think that there's still a lot of public education that needs to happen in terms of this shift and this belief that there's actually nothing wrong with making money by doing good, right? And that's still a cultural shift. And it really, again, it doesn't matter if you're a big company or a small company. There's still a shift, there's a, a cultural shift that hasn't completely happened. It's happening, but it hasn't completely happened because for people who look at it still through a philanthropic lens, it feels wrong to personally benefit or for your company to benefit by doing nice things in the community, right? And so, but the argument that we make back to them is, you say, look, 
we understand that that makes you feel uncomfortable, but it's because you're looking at it through a charity lens about the sort of the, you know, giving that charity and philanthropy is about the love of human kindness, right? It's about giving back in a very pure sense. But what we say back to them is, you know, but this isn't about charity. This is about social impact. And the only way in which you're going to dedicate serious and real resources against this is if it actually can be sustainable for your business. If you believe that this is something that could actually help drive and grow your business. And so the moment you sort of change your mind set and you recognize that this isn't about writing checks and being just a nice person in community. This is actually about saying we could help to solve homelessness in our communities, right? And we happen to have, if you were a furniture company, well, how would you actually align a furniture company with homelessness and thinking about affordable housing and what you could do to furnish right uh, low or affordable housing for people in community. So we talk a lot about what's your license to operate as a business. And so it's trying to get them to understand why the shift needs to happen and get them to believe that actually this could be good for business. And what I generally find is you sort of have three kind of groupings of CEOs. You have those that totally get it. And they believe in this and they actually believe it's the future of business and they're there. You've got a group of CEOs who just don't believe that these two things, you know, profit and purpose should go together. And so it doesn't matter how good an argument we make, they're never going to buy into it. And then you have, I'd say, a CEO that just feels like just it doesn't it's not that they don't believe it. They just don't feel it's right. And generally speaking, you're talking about a CEO in their sort of mid 50s to early to mid 60s. And it is a generational thing. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that cohort slowly but surely is going to transition. And the moment we transition to a younger CEO, CEOs in their 30s and 40s, I think we're going to see a dramatic shift and a dramatic acceleration of this idea of profit with purpose. That's interesting. I was speaking to somebody exactly on this topic yesterday where we were talking about organizations who, as you say, have a, a CEO or a senior management team who are resistant to this. But actually, mm -hmm. the millennials who are one of the generations really driving this they're already in management positions. This isn't far off before this becomes, you can almost feel the tide for people who are ready to embrace it, definitely. And I often talk about how culturally, it just seems madness to me that we think it's okay for people to get paid lots of money to do a lot of not very nice things in the world. <laughs> and certainly things that mm -hmm. don't add to yeah. our communities or damage the planet. Um, and many of those who are critical are in jobs with companies that do that. When, why would we not actually be looking to do good whether or not that is actually pay and reward people well who do good in the world but actually also encourage businesses to have more simple social impact and it's a bit upside down but I don't think it's far off I don't think that it's, switch is far off. No I'm with you and I you know just to build on that I think there's some interesting proof points you know you talked about the millennials the number that I always find staggering is that millennials will be 75% of the workforce in the next 10 years so that's yeah. a dramatic shift that's coming and their view of this sort of this blurring of the lines, right, between the consumer and the citizen, between the responsibilities, or just the way in which a company behaves is very different. The expectations of both consumers and employees is changing, right? And you're quite right to point out that a little bit upside down, when market force is such that it's this idea of the blind invisible hand, right? And you've got the Milton Friedman school that says that the social responsibility of a company is to maximize shareholder value. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that that idea is being disintegrated. It's being blown up because it suggests that it's all about profit and not about how you, how you treat your employees how you behave in community, the carbon footprint that you have as a company. I mean, to suggest that these things aren't connected is such an old view of it. 
in that you can just, you can be a corporate titan and you can do whatever it takes in the most competitive and sometimes anti-competitive ways. But then you can just kind of give it away, give away some of your money to be seen to be good. The great news is that because of the sort of digital world that we live in today, the 24-7 nature of self-publishing and the fact that we have information at our fingertips, it's actually accelerating that shift that we're talking about because you cannot speak out of both sides of your mouth anymore. You will be found out in a moment. So you can't, the private becomes public and the public is private, right? Just like the consumer and citizen are coming together. So now if you are, if you've got bad hiring practices or you're sexually assaulting your employees a a la Uber, right? That actually impacts how you're going to behave. Or, you know, you take a more benign example. I mean, there was interesting article recently about Chipotle and how they actually pay their employees reasonably well and how the shareholders and and sorry the street sort of the financial industry was saying that overpay right and they're saying well we don't agree with you right Mm -hmm. like this idea that paying people well is a bad thing right these worlds are being collapsed and you can't just do some nice stuff on the side and expect to get away with it now actually everything that you do is being scrutinized and i think what's happening as a result of it is it's forcing companies to realize we've got to figure out how to deal with this And that's forcing them to look at it and be strategic about how they're going to deal with employees, how they're going to deal with community, how they're going to deal with supply chain. And now all of a sudden, purpose, social impact just has to be part of how they do business because you can't get away with anything anymore. And I think that's the really positive side of this sort of technological revolution that we're all experiencing. And I think it's going to only continue to accelerate the pace of companies recognizing that they have not just a responsibility, but actually it's just good business to be good in the world. And the more comfortable they get with realizing you can be good and make money doing it, the more, the more good that's going to come of it. Definitely. Definitely. And so could you maybe share a couple of good examples of companies who are embracing this well? Yeah. So there's a bunch, right? And it's interesting that I still think that the examples are, there's still the minority versus, you know, what I think we would all, you know, both of us would love to see. But let me give you a few examples that I think are great ones. Um, the gold standard, of course, in this is Patagonia. And everyone talks about them, but they talk about them for a reason. And it's because Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia, and Rose Macario, who's the CEO currently, they are just, I mean, they have built a unbelievable tribe of consumer citizens who just, they love what Patagonia stands for. And, and Trinard, you know, in his book, Let, Let My People Go Surfing, I mean, he talks about the fact that he was a reluctant business person, that he was basically, you know, loves the natural environment, wants to protect it, and really wanted to create great gear to go surfing and hiking and climbing. And you see it in everything that they do. They really are a, a completely purpose sits at the heart of that business. And so they do things like they came up with a new way to harvest cotton because they didn't feel it was sustainable enough. And then once they perfected it, of course, they ran it through, they use it for all of their products and they gave it away to their competitors. More recently, they decided that the way in which uh, they were farming salmon uh, wasn't sustainable. And so they came up with a new way to farm salmon. And now you can actually buy salmon and smoke salmon in, in Patagonia stores. And again, they give it away. So they're a model in terms of just fully embracing a purpose. And the story I always love to tell about them to show sort of the authenticity of it was a few years back, they ran a campaign called Warnware. And they ran an ad in the New York Times and it had a Patagonia fleece and it said, don't buy this jacket. And they were encouraging people on the Thanksgiving weekend in the U.S. to not purchase, but to reuse and to fix their old clothes. And they saw a 67% increase in sales on that weekend by telling people not to buy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you, 
you know, you just couldn't get away with that unless you were sincere. So, I mean, they're a great example. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that is one of the best examples, without a doubt. I think that that whole don't buy this jacket and the education around reusing clothes, which other companies would just think would shoot them in the foot. It just shows how strong, when you really embrace this at every single level across your whole supply chain, your whole business and the whole ethos, it can go the opposite way that an awful lot of people yep. expect. Absolutely. So I think, you know, they're a great long-term example. You know, I think in a more recent, there's a couple that come to mind. So one is, I think Tesla is an incredible example of a social purpose business. I think what Elon Musk is doing is, is incredible. And if you think about it, Tesla cars are, they are a social purpose product mm -hmm. because it's electric vehicles. And what he's done to accelerate the electric vehicle market is phenomenal. And you think about what he's doing with solar and, and energy and so on. So you know, a totally purpose-driven company that has a, from a market capitalization standpoint, is the leading electric vehicle company. I mean, it's, it's wild. Um, so I think that's a great example. You know, I love the example of CVS. It's a, it's a retail pharmacy in the U.S. And they made a very bold decision a few years ago to become a healthcare company. They rebranded as CVS Health and they made a very bold decision to not sell tobacco in their stores, which was the $2 billion hit to the bottom line. And they made it up within two years. And now they're outperforming Walgreens and all their competitors significantly. So that, and they are actually, the, they're now talking about buying Aetna Healthcare Company. So they're making all kinds of moves around really improving people's health. And this is a publicly traded company, right? So this idea that, oh, well, it's easy for a company if they started out that way, a la Patagonia. But here's a company that actually embraced purpose and baked it at the heart, and they didn't start out that way. So I think they're a really, a really neat example. But you know, there's a lot of great example. I mean, Unilever is always talked about, but there's a lot of other great examples of companies like Levi's, who, while it's not across their entire product line, they've introduced the whole idea of waterless jeans and how they're trying to improve their process to, to reduce the amount of water because a lot of water goes into the manufacturing of, of jeans and they've significantly reduced it. And so there's a whole line of their products that don't use or use very limited water, right? You're seeing the, you know, you're seeing a whole bunch of companies, Reebok amongst many, who are uh, taking the, you know, the plastic and the pollution in the oceans and they're turning it into products. It's fascinating. Now we're working with the body shop and I love talking about the body shop because in my mind, you know, there, when you think back to the beginnings of companies and brands embracing purpose, body shop and Ben and Jerry's were the ones that everybody talked about way back in the eighties, right? Mm -hmm. But when Body Shop sold to L'Oreal, what's really interesting is you saw, you started to see a decline in the Body Shop's impact because they sort of lost a bit of the thread in terms of their activist spirit. And they were recently purchased by Natura, a Brazilian company who's very purpose-driven and who's a B corporation. And they want them to get back to their activist spirit. And we're working with them right now, actually, to revive that activist spirit in a way to both in a particular campaign we're doing too, it's a global campaign around trying to ban you know, testing of, on you know, cosmetics on animals, but also as a way to actually bring a lapsed user and a new user into the store. So, you know, there's the proper with purpose angle. So there's all kinds of examples of companies, other who have historically braced purpose, like a Danone. You think about upstarts, like I mentioned, CBS or kind, kind bars, and who actually believe in this notion that kindness isn't just a nice passive thing, but actually is something, it's a strategy and intentionality to actually improve, right, communities and actually people being intentional about kindness as a way to reduce bullying, 
increase empathy, make people better citizens, quite frankly. So there's just an incredible variety of companies, big and small, who either have started out with purpose baked at the heart or who are realizing that actually there's an opportunity to bake it right in. Or if they can't bake purpose at the heart of their business, at least get much more strategic about how they can create impact in a way that will also drive their bottom line. And it's fabulous to hear all these different businesses. And you're right, you know, a lot of this has been going on. The Body Shop is one of the ones that is very obvious to me because I remember so clearly when I got going you know um and actually yeah. hearing you speak about it i have to share this i was in amsterdam recently we ended up in a shop in a shop on the way back to the hotel and i asked the question of them did they test any of their products on animals and i couldn't believe the response i, I just started laughing and it, it was the, the young girl said oh she said to test on animals that's so last century <laughs> You know, that shows how things have moved on. And it would be wonderful if actually that same statement could be applied to businesses who don't actually embrace social impact in a few years' time. Because that just... It's felt like it's been a long time in coming on, on the animal testings front with cosmetics, but it was just fascinating to hear that disbelief. I felt very old. (laughs) But I'll tell you, I mean, it's a great story because I'll tell you that part of the challenge that we all have, and as people who work in the space, there is still a large say-do gap. And what I mean by that is people will tell you that they will benefit companies that do good. They will tell you that they'll pay more for products that are more purpose-driven or have a better you know, environmental footprint. But the reality is that there's a big gap between what they say and actually what they do. And so if you take animal testing, for example, you know, I love that the young woman said it's so that's the last century, but actually most people don't know, and most women in their purses, actually whether the products that they're using have been tested on animals or not. And a lot of those products come from China, and I can tell you that they are being tested on animals. They just don't know it. And they're not asking the questions, right? And so we find that with work that we do, for example, we work with this company called Kruger Products and they create all sorts of uh, paper products for the home. And people will tell you that they'll buy the environmentally 100% recycled product, but we know the stats. A tiny percentage of Canadians buy 100% recycled paper. And so we're working with them to try to increase market share, even though that they tell you that they will, the reality is that they don't. And so people in the fashion, there's this whole, as you know, this whole area of slow fashion, but people are still buying, you know, they're going to the H&Ms and they're buying the, you know, the cheap clothing that is still being created in factories where they're not ideal conditions and we're not willing to pay what it should really cost for the production of goods. And so there is still a long ways to go in that that sort of the gap between what people say they'll do and how they'll benefit and they'll reward companies and actually what happens. Yeah, and that will be true to people as consumers as much as in the context of business as well. And Mm -hmm. picking up on something you said earlier, because I I loved how you um, started talking about Levi and how they've not necessarily embraced things in the same way across the whole business like Patagonia has, but they're doing it so always. Because I think for some of our listeners running businesses, this could all seem quite daunting to suddenly put mm-hmm. um, go through a rebranding exercise and putting social impact at the heart of the business. When you're working with clients, where do you start? Where would you suggest our listeners who are new to this would think of starting? Yeah, so it's a great question. The truth is, start anywhere. We really believe that it's really important to hold judgment in terms of where people are along a spectrum. So if you think of a spectrum as from literally just giving a few dollars to a community group, 
all the way to a holistic purpose is baked at the heart and it drives everything that you do. That's a big spectrum, right? And as you move from sort of the left side, which is just sort of giving some philanthropic dollars to moving to the fulsomeness of it, you've got things like cause marketing and you've got more strategic citizenship platforms. You know, you've got all kinds of things you can do. And so for us, when we're working with clients, you know, we try to understand where they're at, what is realistic in terms of how we can move them along that spectrum. And for many, they're not ready to really embrace or figure out how social purpose and impact can drive their business, like literally be a driver for acquiring a customer or selling a product, but they want to play in a more fulsome way. So for many companies that we work with, we what we call a social impact platform, we help them figure out at least where should you play? Like we're big believers that you should have a stance, you should have a point of view, and you shouldn't just be all things to all people. So you have to figure out what's the issue that you really want to tackle. And that issue should be tied to your business, right? We t- talk a lot about the idea of license to operate. So when a company wants to play on a social issue, they have to have license to play there. It has to be in the consumer's mind, you need to be able to look at company X and issue Y and understand why they're connected. Because if you can't, then maybe the company hasn't found the right issue. So it can be as simple as saying, figure out what that issue is and how you want to start to help contribute to it. And it can be as simple again also as making your consumers feel good about it, making your employees feel good about it. And that's it. But then you can also move it along. So it doesn't have to be daunting in the sense of you start with wherever you're at and then start to at least ask questions about, well, are we having impact or are we actually just being replacing impact for outputs? Meaning what we're measuring is if we're measuring at all, well, how many people did we reach or how much money did we give? And so what we always say is start with actually thinking about impact rather than how many people you reach. What's the change you'd like to help contribute to creating? And then figure out how you want to do that. And then if you, of course, if you can figure out how that can contribute to your business, all the better, because then you'll do more of it. But if you can't, if it's literally just a starting point for being a bit more strategic about the kind of impact you'd like to have in the world, then that's fine. And the last thing I just say on it is I really think it's important to look at this work from the inside out and the outside in. And what I mean by that is what gives you legitimacy and sort of a certain license to operate is your employees have to believe that it's authentic to who and what you are, right? Because if your employees don't believe, so if you're out there and you're talking about homelessness and your employees are saying, but you know, this company doesn't live those values. This the company isn't overly, doesn't seem to be overly caring. Why are they trying to pretend this facade? Then there's no chance a consumer is going to buy it. Right? They may not pay attention in the beginning, but there's no chance they're going to buy it. So the inside out is the legitimacy and the engagement of your employees because they are absolutely your best ambassadors in terms of going out into community and having having impact. But the outside in is also really important because it can't just be about you. If you really see this as a business driver, then it has to be something that your consumers can really get behind and really believe in and be excited by and actually want to engage with you in. So you have to look at it both from the inside outwards, so employees out to the community, and then looking at the community and saying, as a business, where can we play in a really authentic and legitimate way that will excite our consumers and is an opportunity to engage them in a way that will also help us sell products or or services or attract a new consumer because our values resonate with them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so you talk there about, we have the whole way through this conversation, been talking about impact. When businesses start to do this, what kind of ways can they actually measure their impact? And in mm-hmm. a way, and yeah, I just share that story so that it actually becomes part of their brand. Yeah. So I think, so there's a number of measure metrics that, that we counsel and, and work on with our clients. And the way I would break it down is I would think about there are business metrics, there are kind of community impact metrics, and then there are marketing metrics. And they all definitely overlap, but they're slightly different. So the business metrics, if you're really doing profit purpose, then you're thinking about your community efforts and how it'll drive your business. Then the starting point is being really clear about the problem that you're trying to solve for. So if the problem is we are seeing a decline in sale of our core products, and we believe that if we're more purpose-driven, that might help. Then you said business metrics around, well, what kind of increase would we like to see in growth of our sales of our products, right? And so there's all kinds of metrics around from literally just sales to consideration, right, mm-hmm. of the product and the brand. So those, there's a whole variety of metrics around business drivers and acquisition of customer, right, and so on. On the impact side, it's really important to get clarity around the difference between outputs and outcomes. And so there's nothing wrong with outputs. So as I was mentioning a moment ago, number of people reached, right? Number of dollars given, number of volunteer hours created, et cetera. But those are outputs, but they should be in the service of outcomes. So again, if I use my homelessness example, if you said, well, let's tackle youth homelessness. And what would it look like if we could get 10% of youth off the streets. Like, could we actually do that? What would we do to help support that? And who would we work with to do that? And you said, if there's uh, 10,000 young people on the streets of X city, could we actually get that? Could we reduce that number by a thousand, right? Or 500, like set a realistic goal and then ask, okay, well, what would it take to do that? So in figuring out the strategy to do that, there are going to be a set of outputs that you'll need to create to measure, but also an outcome, which would be, well, did we actually get more young people off the streets. And that that metric is really important. And that takes time, right? You're not going to generally do that in, in, a, in one campaign, for example. That's not going to happen. So there's a whole series of metrics around the organizations you engage, the you know, policy change, thinking about dollars that are necessary to do it, thinking about uh, partnerships that will help you achieve that. So there's a whole set of outcomes there. And then, you know, because this sort of business and the community, the interface, at least in the work that we do is around marketing, then you have all the marketing metrics around, you know, you want people to take an action. So, you know, from social metrics to actually engaging your consumers and giving with you, right? There's a whole mm-hmm. set there. And what we're, what we try to do, and it's imperfect at this point, but is actually to look at those range of metrics and then actually create a measurement framework that says, let's actually categorize the types of metrics that we're going to create in each of these buckets and make sure that they're kind of working in harmony. Now, we're doing this exact thing with NBC Universal in New York right now on an anti-hate and discrimination campaign where we're saying, look, there's going to be all kinds of metrics around awareness of the campaign. But really importantly, if we're serious about trying to drive and start to reduce hate and, and, and discrimination in America, which is a tall task, how would we know if we're even on the path towards that? How could we start to contain it? How could we use the, the, the incredible reach of a great company like NBC Universal actually tell stories to contain when people are, are saying really discriminatory or racist things online? 
how do we actually mobilize, help and support and mobilize people to take counteractions? And so we've actually, you know, set out a whole set of metrics in partnership with people who are on, you know, organizations who are on the front lines to think about, will we, how will we know if we've actually helped to move the needle? And that's a really obvious but really important piece to all of this because if you don't know what you're trying to change and you don't know where you're currently at and what the gap is between where you are and where you're trying to get to and what set of kind of outcomes you're trying to achieve, then you have no idea whether the work that you're doing is actually helping or hindering the cause, right? And so it's that range of business metrics, social metrics and community, and then the marketing metrics put together that gives you a really interesting picture of whether or not you're having any impact. I love how you've just broken that down so clearly, in some respects into a lot of detail, but it's, it's using your word, the framework that you've given that around mm-hmm. those three, di- just the simplicity of those three different categories. And I'm sure a lot of people will find that help. I know for me that that is, you know, I've enjoyed everything you're sharing, but that is definitely being one of the big nuggets I'm taking away from this conversation because it's um, it's so important. And it's the one thing that I know so many people struggle with is how they measure their impact. And mm-hmm. so if they're collating, they're creating all these metrics and things, how is it that you then take what I suppose is known internally within that business and communicate that out into the world in a way that is perceived positively? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. And I think the starting point is we talk a lot about creating a North Star. Uh, maybe that's because we're Canadians. We like the North Star. <laughs> but the idea of a North Star is it's a far reaching. And we like to think in decades because a decade is a long period of time where you could see some real measurable change. But it's not so far in the future that you couldn't even imagine it, right? So, and there's nothing magical about 10 years. But when we think about North Stars, we sort of think in a, in a decade and we think in 10 year blocks and we say, how will the world look different on this issue? Not because company X is, has done, is going to create the change on their own, but just that they're going to help contribute to it. How will the issue look different? How will more young people be off the streets? What would that look like? Or how could we educate every indigenous young person in, in this country, right, within a generation, for example? And when you start with the North Star, it helps you really think about the kind of change you're trying to create. And so in terms of communicating it, I mean, the first thing is that we believe uh, strongly that when you take more of an asset approach, meaning you take a positive versus the negative, right? Rather than talking always about the problem, talk about what the potential is. So we did some work once upon a time with an educational group. And we said, rather than talking about the fact that 30% of kids don't graduate high school, what if we flipped it and talked about creating a graduation nation where the aspiration is every single young person will graduate from high school, right? And so when you start to communicate from a sort of, here's the aspiration, here's the North Star that we're working toward, you're being authentic and transparent about the fact that you're not going to do it alone. It's going to take a long time to get there. But you start from that perspective. Then you can then from there talk about, well, what set of activities and initiatives are you undertaking in the short term to set you on the path to Towards that longer term North Star that's aspirational and positive that people can rally behind. So if you talk about a graduation nation, well, okay, so what are you going to do today to really support the students who aren't graduating, right? Who are coming from underserved communities, right? Who don't have, you know, don't have the mentors and the guidance and who are coming from challenging environments that actually block them and create barriers to them staying in school. And so to sort of paint the long-term picture, but then, and then talk about the activities that are happening today and the people that you're working with to make that happen. And I find that when companies often say, well, we don't want to promote it because we don't want to be seen to be self-serving. And our constant response back is, you don't have to worry about that if you're actually making it about the issue and what you're trying to do and who you're trying to do it with and how the consumer 
can also be a hero in that story. So if you say, look at us, we're company X and we've done all these great things. Well, that's, people don't like that, right? It just feels like you're bragging. But if you actually educate people about the issue and what you're trying to do to tackle it and how you're trying to tackle it and how they could be involved with you in doing it, we found a lot of success with that, that people resonate and they either, they're sort of the bullshit meter goes up or down depending on how authentic the message is and how committed the company is to the particular issue. That's fabulous. Lots of different, very, I mean, totally inspiring. I love that idea of that North Star aspirational positive vision, if you like, which I guess in some ways draws in it's something that may be incorporated into some kind of social impact mission or mission statement, isn't it, in terms of that mm-hmm. impact? Um, so I can't believe that we've got to the time we have here, Phil, because there's so much, I'm just loving listening to you mm-hmm. and everything that you're sharing here. If there was one last thing that you would like to share with our listeners, what would it be? I guess it's is don't let perfection be the enemy of action. I think so often, whether you're a small company, a big company, a mid-sized company, so often I think people feel like they can't, they shouldn't do something because if we can't do it perfectly or you know, will we be called out that we're not internally, we're not walking the walk as well as we could. And, you know, what we constantly say to people is, if you tackle this, if you think about your kind of uh, social impact, and you're coming at it from a very authentic place, and you're very intentional about what you're trying to do, and you're transparent and honest about the fact that you don't have all the answers, and you're, that the aspiration is much greater than where you are, and that you have a lot of work to do to make it good, both internally and externally, I fundamentally believe that consumers will reward you for that, right? They're not going to punish you to be perfect. They're not going to say, well, you can't, you know, there'll always be a few people who will call you out. But by and large, consumers, I think, and consumers and citizens as one, I think people are very reasonable overall and very realistic about their expectations. So sometimes I do hear from people that think, well, I'd love to do that, but we just, we don't feel we can because we just, we haven't done enough ourselves. And so often then it, it stops people from doing great things. And I fundamentally believe that anything that individual or a company or organization does to try to contribute, I think that's positive and incredible. And we should be encouraging more of that. And so, you know, if people are so worried about being completely buttoned up, then I think we would see a lot less action. And it's understandable that when you see these sort of gaffes that happen, like the Pepsi commercial with Kendall Jenner or the most recent flap with Unilever and Dove, it makes people nervous. But I think that is the wrong way to think about it, right? Mistakes are going to be made. Mistakes is to make mistakes is to be human. So I just encourage everybody to go for it and do it from a very authentic and intentional place. And don't worry so much about whether it's completely buttoned up and completely perfect or not, because I think that's too high a bar. Wonderful. And one more thing I'd love to know about you, Phil. What for you is it that rocks your boat in terms of that cause or problem that you feel passionate about that you would love to change? Yes. I mean, there's so many issues that I am. I always feel like, you know, what I love about the work we do at Public is, you know, most days I feel like a kid in a candy store (laughs) because we tackle so many issues, right? I mean, right now we're tackling food security and we're tackling indigenous education and we're tackling hate and discrimination and we're tackling banning animal testing and we're tackling trying to reduce people's carbon footprint right and we're tackling uh, mental health the list goes on and so I have so many issues that I find interesting I really do feel like a kid in the candy store <laughs> I have a you know a real personal interest in the whole issue around sort of civic engagement and voter participation I think the heart of democracy is not just about voting but 
really getting people involved and contributing. I think it's a really important issue. But honestly, and I've got my pet issues, things like food allergies, because my kids are deathly allergic to all kinds of foods. But honestly, I mean, I truly am think about the issues facing the world right now. I mean, there are really there are so many pressing ones like climate change. I think mental health is a huge, huge issue facing the globe, uh, chronic disease. I mean, I literally, there isn't one, there is just so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's why I like working in an agency because we get to touch so many because <laughs> it, it maybe it feeds my uh, ADD. I'm not sure that I just like to touch so many different things versus just going deep on one thing. That's probably a terrible answer to your question, but it's, it's probably. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly not terrible. You know what I always loved about that the most, which wasn't necessarily what you said. It was just hearing the energy that very clearly you are definitely in the right job and clearly having a lot of fun in that sweetie shop. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, listen, I for sugar-free candy. Yeah, definitely. So if people want to find out more about you and check you out and connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, and I'll put great. all the details on the show notes as yeah, well so our, for anyone listening. Terrific. Yeah. So our, our website is publicinc.com. Our Twitter handle is at publicinc and mine is at Phil Hayde, so P-H-I-L-H-A-I-D. And from our website too, you can take a look at our Instagram and our Facebook and so on. They all have slightly different personalities. Our LinkedIn page, they all have slightly different personalities. If you want to kind of get a glimpse into the kind of public culture, I think our Instagram does a good job of it. But mainly I think on the website and, and Twitter are probably great places to uh, to find us. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much, Phil, for your time and the all oh, so many pearls of wisdom that you've shared with us today. I think for oh, me, thank you. yeah, no, definitely. The social impact piece was just fabulous in terms of just really getting down into that but lots and lots I've got lots and lots of notes here and I'm sure those listening will be have taken lots of notes too I've enjoyed the conversation very much and I hope our listeners and know our listeners will have done too so thanks very much to you and to everybody for tuning into this episode I look forward to connecting with you again next time remember to check out give profit.com or allison.com for the full show notes plus details of how to connect with us both. Until next time, remember, business is a great opportunity to be kind. Thanks for listening to the Give to Profit podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you hear about our next episodes. It would be great if you left a rating and review of the show there too. For every review this month, Alison will be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. You can connect and chat with Alison on Twitter using the handle at Alison Mac and through the Give to Profit Facebook fan page. And if you don't already have a copy of Alison's best-selling book, Give to Profit, How to Grow Your Business by Supporting Charities and Social Causes, you can get this on Amazon around the world.